Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word tonight, we pray that through it we might see more of you and through it we might see what our responses should be towards your love as you sent the Lord Jesus to save each one of us. Amen. Well, as uh, Jason said, um, this is the first in the series of this short book. In fact, it's so short, there's only 47 verses in it. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you read through it, but I would encourage you, because in the next uh, three weeks, we will be looking through this book. And as I read it, and as I read the chapter one, I wondered, what makes us angry? What makes us angry? As we look at our news items, as we read the papers, as we go online, do we get angry at what we see? Do we get angry? Well, of course, in our society, sin is rampant, isn't it? We see that with overflowing prisons. They bear witness to this fact. Child abuse, pornography, serial killings, terrorism, anarchy, wars, and the results of wars, people being oppressed, children being hurt, corruption, and massive movements of population all of which bear witness to this. Well, hearing and reading about all these types of activities within our day and within our society might well make us angry. We may well begin to understand the necessity of God's judgment. We may even want vengeance upon the perpetrators of these events. But what if God called us to go and tell the worst offenders of God's forgiveness and gospel of salvation, how would we feel if God called us, for instance, to go to Syria to the ISIS fighters and tell them that God loved them and that God would judge them, but he would also offer them forgiveness for their actions? Well, that really is what this book of Jonah is all about. That's what this book of Jonah is all about. So what about Jonah then? What do we know about him? Well, we know that he was a a prophet. He was born in a little town named Gath-Hefer, which was about two miles from Nazareth. It's uh, the place that's marked A on the map, if you can just about make that out. Okay, and the dotted lines are his journeys, Okay, and you can see some of the places that were actually within this uh, account. And the time of his ministry was about uh, 800 years before Christ. It was uh, at the same sort of time as two other prophets, Hosea and Amos. Most of what we actually know about Jonah is found in this book. But there is another reference to him in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, which says this, God restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamnah to the Sea of Arabath according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Mattatai. And so we read that Jonah was a servant of, 
and a prophet of the Lord. And he prophesied concerning the restoration of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. And I would imagine that uh, Jonah was quite well thought of. On this slide, if you can read it, you'll see we've got uh, the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of of, uh, Judah, and the list of prophets, and you'll see Jonah up there in the top around about the time of Amos as well. And he must have been well thought of because he prophesied that Jonah would expand her boundaries and now it had happened. And there was real excitement in the air in Israel because maybe God was going to bless Israel and let it finally become the most prominent nation in the known world. Maybe after all these years, Israel would at last receive the promised inheritance and Jonah's prophecy might be just the start. And on top of all of this, it was just starting to be the beginning stages of an economic boom in Israel. Money was pouring in. It never had been like this since the time of Solomon. And so Jonah was a celebrity. He had strong nationalistic tendencies. And on top of that, on top of being patriotic, he had God on his side. Jonah was a prophet of God. And God was using Jonah. So they thought that God would give Israel everything that he'd ever wanted. And we know from this reference in 2 Kings that Jonah had been faithful in the past. But faithfulness in the past does not necessarily guarantee the same in the future. Thus the need for perseverance and progression in our spiritual lives and in our own personal relationships with the Lord. And I would imagine at one point Jonah may well have said uh, words like this to God. Nothing that I won't do for the Lord, no place that I won't go, no message that I won't share. But then comes the day when God calls him to go to Nineveh. So then what was the situation like then for for, uh, Israel at this time? Well, I get another map here to show you. You can see the location of Assyria to the east, Nineveh just to the north of that red sign of Assyria. And Israel at this time had really got only one major problem. Israel was becoming a great nation, but over in the east, across the desert, there was another nation, Assyria. And Assyria was beginning to grow strong. In fact, it could be argued that Assyria was just as strong and just as rich as Israel. And in a sense, Assyria was Israel's competition. They were rivals. If one grew too much, there would be inevitably war because only one nation would survive. And Nineveh, which we get reference to in our story, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Okay? And it was not a very nice place because the people in Nineveh were savage and ruthless. In fact, they were a lot like the ISIS fighters of today. They were a difficult people. Their god was Dagon, the fish god, 
which looks rather ironic considering Jonah's experience later on. Secular sources tell us that the Ninevites were atrocious in the way that they treated their enemies. They beheaded the leaders of people they conquered and piled up those heads. Sometimes they placed a captive leader in a cage, treating him like an animal. Often they impaled their captives, thus giving them an agonizing, painful death. Other times they stretched out the arms and legs of the captive and they skinned them alive. Not a nice people. It's no wonder then, perhaps, that Jonah didn't want to go and preach the message of repentance to the Ninevites. He felt they deserved judgment for their atrocities. So what can we learn then from this story that we have in front of us tonight? What can we learn from this chapter? Here's a little uh, cartoon account of the whole of the book, but we're just in that top left-hand corner, the uh, first opening chapter. So what can we learn then from Jonah 1? Well, I think we'd like us to consider two things from this passage this this evening. Firstly, what's it tell us about the God of Israel, Yahweh? And what's it tell us about the prophet Jonah? And so if I asked you tonight, could you produce a short resume of the character of our God? What would you include? If you were having to produce an advert for God, what would you include in that advert? Well, from this passage, I think we can see something of Jonah's God. And I've got four things that I think we can see from Jonah's God. Firstly, we can see that Jonah's God speaks. Now, we don't know how this happened, but we read in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, this is a a phrase that's often used within the accounts of God's prophets in the Old Testament. God's word came to them for a particular purpose with a particular message. And this God speaks unlike the other gods of the age. And I wonder, do the gods of our age speak? And do we, as followers of God, do we still expect God to speak to us? Or is this God confined to only speaking to prophets found in the Old and the New Testament? So does God speak today to us? Well, according to Jim Simbali, who's the pastor of Brooklyn Temple in New York, he reckons he's talking about American Christians and American evangelical Christians, he reckons that only a very small percentage today actually believe that God speaks today. So the question for us is, do we expect to hear God speaking today? Either through his written word, the Bible, through what other Christians say, through prophetic words, and through times of silence. Well, in this passage, God doesn't speak to Jonah in platitudes or in general rules on how to live. No, he gives specific instructions to Jonah. 
Jonah's to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, to give this wicked city of Nineveh full of wicked people who practice cruel acts a very unpopular message. The, the message that God is going to judge them for what they're doing. And this preaching will be a warning to them and an opportunity for them to repent. So that's the first thing I think we see about Jonah's God, that God speaks. Secondly, we see that God acts within the natural world. He acts within the natural world and through the natural world. We have a picture of this, don't we, in verses 4 and verses 15 and 17. Look at the power of this God, a God who controls winds, a God who can cause storms and bring big fish to the correct place for his plan to be completed. We read it, don't we, in this account, how God stilled the storm when Jonah is cast into the sea. Surely this is a pointer to us, isn't it? Do you remember that story of when Jesus was in that fishing boat with his disciples? Jesus was in the bottom of the boat, sound asleep, and a wind and storm arose, and the disciples were terrified. And so they woke him up, and he stilled the storm. Well, this is the same God that we worship. And if we're followers of Jesus, do we believe this? Do we believe that our God has the power to affect nature and allow it to influence our prayers and our faith? Because if this God can cause storms and still them, surely he is capable of working within our society and within our time today. So secondly, we see a God of power who works and a God who speaks. Thirdly, we see a God who responds to man's actions. Look at the confession of Jonah, verse 9 and verse 12 and verse 15. Jonah knows that he has done wrong by fleeing from God's commands. And so he confesses to the sailors who he is. He's a Hebrew and what he believes. He believes in the living God that created the earth and the heavens. And finally, the fishermen act. They throw him into the sea and then God acts. He stills the storm and directs the fish. Now, can I suggest to you that this wouldn't have happened if the fishermen hadn't acted? And so I wondered, as I was thinking and praying about that, how much of God's actions do we prevent by not telling others of God's plans of judgment and salvation? We need to be faithful in actions which will allow God's power to be seen. And then fourthly, we see here that, God, that Jonah's God is a God that has compassion on all people. And he has compassion on these sinners, these dreadful people who are living lives that are the very opposite of God's plan for his creation. God wanted Jonah's preaching to warn the people of Assyria, Nineveh, so that they would come back to him, they would worship him and change how they were acting towards other. Again, this is a forerunner, isn't it, of God's compassion upon people of the world through the, the life and death of Jesus on that cross for the sake of sinners, we who are living apart from God. And that includes the worst people that we can think of. 
And so here you have a challenge for you. Think of the nicest person you know today. And then think of the worst person you know. That might be a terrorist, a swindler, a rapist, a drug addict. Well, God has compassion on all these people, including us, and wants to forgive all so that we can have a relationship with him. Remember, he wanted to be their father. He wanted to be the father to the Ninevites as well as the Hebrews. And so in this passage, we have a God, we have a picture of a God who speaks, we have a picture of a God who acts, and a God who has compassion on those who are living lives that are controlled by sin. Well, what was it you wrote in your picture of God? Is this the God that we want to share with others today? But what are the central character in this book, Jonah? What do we see and learn from him? Well, we've already seen in the reference to 1 Kings that Jonah had been a prophet with some success. But that doesn't mean that this success will continue. We can surmise that Jonah within this time is still attending upon God because he hears the message from God. And not only does Jonah hear the message, Jonah responds to God's word. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't shrug it off. Or he doesn't pretend that God has actually spoken. No, we read here that he flees. He takes immediate action. But that action is to go against what God tells him to do. He is disobedient. So we see here that Jonah is disobedient. And he is foolish as well because he thinks that he can get away from the presence of the living God. We can only surmise what led to this action. Was it the fear of the violent Ninevites? Was it the fear or the doubt that God would protect him or that he couldn't do what God had told him to do? Was it righteous anger? He felt at their evil actions. Well, we don't know. We're not told. But from these verses, we can see that he allows his fear, his concern for the state of Israel, to overcome God's instruction. Jonah chooses to go the direct opposite to what he'd been instructed. He sets out for Tarshish, a port that was probably at the extreme end of the Western world, the extreme opposite to where Joppa actually was. Later in the book, we will read that Jonah not only was uh, disobedient, he was afraid that the merciful God would forgive the cruel, nasty, evil people. He was afraid and he was fearful of God's forgiveness. He was fearful that if these Ninevites should repent at his preaching, what would they do to his country? He was a narrow-minded patriot who feared the Assyrians that would one day swallow up his own little nation. And so he wished to do nothing that might lead to the preservation of the wicked Ninevites. Jonah was willing to prophesy to Israel, but at first he flatly refused to become a foreign missionary. Is that the same for the Christian church, I wondered? Are we frightened 
that people might come in who are different to us, receive forgiveness and change us. So from this passage then we see that Jonah was fearful, he was selfish, he was spiteful and narrow-minded and proud. He was angry. He was really angry. He was angry with God and the Ninevites. He was angry and he wanted, because God wanted to give them the chance of repentance and change. Yet the good news is that God was still prepared to use this man that was angry, that was disobedient, and later in the series we'll see how that would happen. But the good news for us is that God is still prepared to do that. God still loves us, though we too rebel and we go the opposite way to which he often wants us to go. And God is still prepared to use us in his mission today. And so as I was thinking about this and I thought about the history of Christendom, do we see something of the same here? Has the church followed the teaching of Jesus loving your neighbor as yourself, putting the weak first, recognizing and denouncing the dangers of wealth, pursuing God's kingdom, pursuing evil people, looking at those who live on the margins of society, the very opposite to what we often consider to be respectable. And have we as a church taken this message of God loving them so much that he offers them the chance to repent and come to his cross for forgiveness. Have we obeyed God's instructions to go to the way he called us? In fact, have we actually given time to pray and listen to God's instructions? We live in a world, don't we, of rush, of noise and clamor. How many times have we been called to fast and wait upon the Lord with regard to the ways we move forward, both individually and as a church? Do we listen, hear and obey God's instructions to us in this generation? So in this brief narrative, we see that Jonah's God, Yahweh, retains the initiative. God is in control. Jonah's contents with God is ill-matched. The account illustrates the impossibility of escaping God's presence and the folly of attempting such a thing. It shows Jonah's dependence on God, even when he's in a state of rebellion against him. But mostly, and the most important message, I think, for tonight, is we see that we have a God that had compassion on those evil Ninevites. Jonah, as we will see later, didn't appear to have this. So do we have compassion on those that are making us angry, those that are committing evil deeds today? God called Jonah to go to those people. Is he calling us to do likewise? Or is he calling us only to go to those that we consider the same as us? An encouraging message, I hope, but also a challenging one. Amen.